Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. So how many of you like following rules, obeying the rules? Raise your hand if you do. Heck, most of you are sitting there going, I'm not raising my hand. We don't like to follow rules. Ever since Adam and Eve, who only had one rule to follow, broke that rule, human beings have a hard time following rules. We just don't like it. And in fact, you may not know this, but in the early church, the very first big argument in the early church in the New Testament era was over rules. In fact, what happened was there were Christians who had been Jews before they became Christians, and some of them were even Pharisees. And the Pharisees are the people that gave Jesus the hard time all the time. And they said, in order to be a Christian, first you have to follow the 600 plus rules that are in the Mosaic Law. Now, on the other extreme, there were those who had been pagans. They had been idol worshipers. They had never really heard that there's only one God. And when they came to follow Jesus Christ, they didn't know what rules were. And these two came together, and there was this debate. So how many rules do you have to follow to be a Christian? And, and they actually gathered a council in Jerusalem, and leaders from all over the known world uh, came together to debate this matter. And the moderator of the meetings was James. He was an apostle, but he's also the Lord's stepbrother, Jesus' stepbrother. And after the meeting uh, had concluded, and they'd heard all the, you know, the, 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 the point, counterpoint, you know, and, and Paul, would, Paul the apostle stood up at that meeting and he said, wow, you cannot believe what God is doing among the Gentiles. I mean, he's doing amazing miracles. And yet the Pharisees would stand up and say, doesn't matter, rules are rules. You've got to follow the rules. And so James concluded, and, and the entire group, somehow the Holy Spirit actually led them to this conclusion. And I'm going to read you what James said to the group. And so my judgment is that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write and tell them to abstain from eating food offered to idols, from sexual immorality, from eating the meat of strangled animals, and from consuming blood. For these laws of Moses have been preached in Jewish synagogues in every city on every Sabbath for many generations. Look, look again at the very beginning. We should not make it difficult for the Gentiles, that's the non-Jews who never heard about all these laws, to turn to God. And, and I, that's incredible if you think about it. They had 600 plus laws and God had given them in what we call the Old Testament era. You know, Moses received these laws up on Mount Sinai, brought them all down and shared them with the people. And they had followed them for all these years. And now James says, no, we're not going to make them do that anymore. Just four rules. And when you look at the four rules, you think, well, if they're, if they're only going to have four rules, wouldn't you think they would come from the Ten Commandments? Because, you know, the Ten Commandments are like important rules. And if you're going to have only four, wouldn't they come from there? They actually do. It doesn't look like it on the surface, but they actually do. Because the first rule, which said, you know, you can't eat food sacrificed to idols. An idol was a false god. And so what we're talking about here is the first two commandments. You can't have any other gods and no graven images, you know. So, so those really follow the first two of the Ten Commandments. And then the next one says, don't practice sexual immorality. Well, of course, the seventh of the Ten Commandments is don't commit adultery, which is one kind of sexual immorality. But you also have premarital sex and homosexual sexual practice and pornography. And you're sitting there going, they had pornography back then? Well, yes, they did. They've had pornography ever since people have been able to draw pictures. 
But that's a sermon for a different day. Okay, so then the next thing is rules three and four. Don't eat meat of strangled animals and don't eat blood. The Jews believed, because God told them, that life is in the blood. So basically, if you ate this kind of food, which you weren't, weren't supposed to eat, it could be considered idolatry. It also actually could be considered murder. But here's the point. God had given 600 plus rules for the Jews to follow. And those rules had never brought them close to God. Those rules could not bring them close to a living God because rules tend to deaden us. They tend to form us into two groups of people. Legalists who just want to go with the rules and the people that think that license is what we want to do. Let's just forget about all the rules. And really, people generally tend in those directions if left to our own devices. We have all the rules. Let's follow them. We're going to legalistically do it. Or let's just forget about all the rules. And, and, and let's not. But Jesus came, and I, I would contend that Jesus actually only had one rule. Follow me. Jesus only had one rule. You trust in me. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so Jesus said, you are all sinners. I'm, I'm not pointing just to you, but to me. We're all sinners. All of us are sinners. We deserve to die and go to hell forever. But Jesus came, the, the Son of God in the flesh, and he said, I'm going to die because I'm perfect, and my sacrifice will be perfect, and it can pay for the penalty of all your sins, and I'm going to give you a new life, and all you have to do is receive it. And, and so basically, we, I guess we could say the one rule is, love God and follow him. And so that's what happened. And here's today's take-home point. For those of you who are first-time guests, we seek to make one point here every week. And this is this week's take-home point. It's not what we do, but what Jesus did that matters. You see, it's not whether we're legalistically following all these rules or whether we're not doing anything to follow rules. It's about what Jesus did on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago when he shed his innocent blood to redeem us, which is to pay the penalty for sin and death and give us a new life. And the interesting thing is, even though, even though we've had 2,000 years now of not having any rules, Christians from day one have still argued about the rules. In Corinth, they argued about the rules. Here, here was a rule they had in Corinth. A woman couldn't come to church unless she had a head covering, a hat on her head. Well, well, well that... I don't see any of you women with head coverings. Why was that? Well, it's pretty simple. In the city of Corinth, if you walked out in public and you were a woman and your head was not covered, you were a prostitute. Therefore, it made sense if you were a Christian that you would cover your head if you were a woman, okay? Not so much in these days, right? It's totally different. Nobody would think of that that way. Because that's, but there are still churches where you still have to wear your head covering because of a rule that was 2,000 years old that they still apply today. And, and the bottom line for all of us is Jesus made it very clear that there are some Old Testament rules that don't apply to us anymore. One is about eating food, what you can eat and what you can't eat. Jesus said it's what comes out of our heart that makes us clean or unclean, you know, good or bad. It's not what we eat. And so Jesus did away with all the dietary rules of the Jews. And, and, and so the debate in the moment for our culture, it's a very simple debate, isn't it? Whether homosexual practice is marriage, which uh, five Supreme Court justices decided a couple weeks ago it is, or, or whether Genesis 1 and 2 marriage it, between a man and a woman for life is what it's all about. And, and you're going to see in a minute why I say Genesis 1 and 2 marriage, because one of the things that I've realized a long, long time ago is that sometimes people say stuff better than I can say it, 
And uh, a couple weeks ago, or actually one week ago on Tuesday at youth ministry here, there were a hundred and some middle schoolers, sixth to twelfth graders in this room. And Pastor Mark, our one of our director of student ministries, stood up and to address this issue. It was just, you know, Friday the decision had come down and it was Tuesday, so it was just a few days later. And he addressed all these kids about this very issue because what's happened in our culture is we've just basically said, well, let's just not say that anything's a sin these days. And so I want you to watch and see what Pastor Mark said to the group that was there a week ago Tuesday. This was not something that was common. In fact, when I grew up, it was something that was very strange and very odd. And you're thinking, well, it's a good thing that it's not strange and odd anymore. And in some ways, yes, that's true. Because some of the ways that it was strange and odd when I was growing up meant that I got called a lot of names that A, I was not, because I'm very straight. And B, they were very offensive and hurtful to a lot of people, myself included. But in another way, it wasn't really on the radar inside of my culture. You've grown up in a culture in which it has always and continuously been on the radar. It is the normal for you. Whereas for me and my culture, it was not. So the amount of rainbows that I experienced on Facebook was a bit of a shocking factor when I logged on. Although I'm sure for many of you, it may not have been. So I began to pray and consider, what does that mean for relevant student ministries? Because you may not know the history of this church, but Pastor Chris, the senior pastor of our church here at New Life, left the Presbyterian USA Church when they began making votes that he did not agree with regarding homosexuality no longer being a sin. He left his job, his retirement, everything that he had with the Presbyterian USA Church to become a carpenter. A couple days later, a couple men came to his house with $2,000 at a time when it took $250,000 to start a church. And they gave him $2,000 in an envelope and said, we want you to start a church. And 15 years ago, New Life, the church you're in today, was born as a product of the cultural shift that you saw come into play this past Friday. And so as a member, as a staff member of New Life Christian Ministries, I came on knowing New Life's doctrinal stance and our belief system towards homosexuality and gay marriage. And I believed in it wholeheartedly and still do. So what does that mean for relevant student ministries? It means a couple things specifically. And then I'm going to get back into the Zoom. Are you ready? It means a couple things specifically. As a leadership team, we will always, as long as I'm the youth pastor here, affirm Genesis chapter 1 and 2 marriage. What is Genesis chapter 1 and 2 marriage? We will always affirm and support nothing but marriage between one man and one woman. Why do I see Genesis 1 and 2 marriage? Because sometimes when you say biblical marriage, they said, what part of biblical marriage do you mean? Do you mean David's biblical marriage with a thousand wives? Or how about Abraham's with his concubines? I don't affirm concubines or a thousand wives. I affirm Genesis chapter 1 and 2 marriage, where the world was perfect. Adam and Abraham lived in a fallen world and did not live out marriage how it was built or created to be. They lived it out unfaithfully. So as a leadership team, we will always affirm and never support anything but that form of marriage. 
What does that mean for you and for Relevant Student Ministries? And specifically, those of you who come here, who come directly from the lesbian and gay, bisexual, and transgender community, who come here weekly and join us here at Relevant Student Ministries. It means this, and I mean this very passionately and very personally, to each and every one of you who either comes from that community or does not. As long as I am the youth pastor here at Relevant, Relevant will never become a youth ministry that is about who is gay, who is not gay, who loves people who are gay, or who hates people who are gay. We will never, ever become about those four things. We will always exclusively be about Jesus. Your leadership team, your leadership team will not condone sin. We will point you in the right direction, but we will not throw stones. We are not here to judge. We will be here to love. But we will tell you the truth. And we will tell you the truth in love every time that you come here. If you give us permission to speak into your lives. But our ministry will always be, first and foremost, about Jesus. I wasn't there that night, so I watched that video with Nancy, my wife, in our living room. When it was over, I said, man, I wish we had a youth pastor like that. Then I said, oh, we do. We have two of them. And, uh, and, and I want to underline, underline something that Mark said, because it wasn't just for the youth ministry here at New Life. It's for New Life. And that is, this ministry will never be about who's gay or who's not gay. It will never be about who loves gays or who hates gays. It will always and only be about Jesus. That's what we were about day one, day two. That's what about we're about today. It's what we're going to be about until Jesus comes back or we go see him. Because that is... The only source of life that is truly life, Jesus Christ. He is the one who came to bring us freedom. And you may be wondering by this time, what does all this have to do with the book of Colossians? I thought we were studying the book of Colossians this summer. Well, we are. And as we're studying the book of Colossians this summer, what we're talking about is Jesus plus nothing equals everything. And and today's sermon title, which I totally blitzed over, is not Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but Jesus plus nothing. Because it isn't Jesus in rules. It isn't Jesus in license. It's Jesus plus Jesus. It's just Jesus. And when he comes into our lives, we have a new life that lasts forever. And what the Apostle Paul is going to help us to see today, it's not about legalism or license. It's about liberty, freedom. That's what we're going to find out as we turn to Colossians 2, 16 to 23 today. Before we do that, let's pray. Almighty God, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for coming in the form of the man, Jesus Christ. And I thank you that he was so clear that truth and love must always be held together and that we can't have one without the other because if we have truth without love, all we will do is hurt people. And if we have love without truth, all we will do is let people just lovingly go to hell. God, I thank you that we have your word, which is truth, which we can speak in this place and in every place, which we can read and learn and grow. And today, I pray that your Holy Spirit would show us what we need to know to be free, truly free from sin and death and free to live the life you created us to live. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So if you turn to page 18, if you have this booklet, we, we're using these all summer, page 18. If you don't have the booklet, you're a first-time guest or, or you just don't have one, and you'd like to have one, if you raise your hand, somebody will bring you that booklet. But on page 18, 
is the text for today. It's Colossians 2, starts in verse 16, where the Apostle Paul writes, So don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink or for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies or Sabbaths. So, what did Paul say? It's not about what you do or what you don't do. And don't let anybody condemn you for what you do or what you don't do. And sooner or later, if you go to a church long enough, somebody's going to hand you a list of rules. And mostly the rules have to do with religious ceremonies. And if I had a dollar for every time in 31 years as a pastor, somebody told me I should dress different when I come to church or we should do different music when we come to church, we could pay for the Christian Nurture Center with cash. Because that's just how often that people disagree about what we should wear to church and what kind of music we should have in church. And what Paul says is, don't let people get you off the track. Because that stuff isn't what matters. And then he's going to tell us what does matter. He says, uh, the next thing he says is, for these rules, all the different rules that we've come up with over the years. But he's specifically talking about the 600 plus rules in the law of Moses. He says, they're only shadows of the reality to come. So, so what was the reality to come? He, well, he tells us, he says, and Christ himself is that reality. The rules in the law of Moses, that wasn't the reality, that was a shadow. All the rules that people come up with to tell us what we should do, what we shouldn't do, the, those, are, those are shadows that are pointing to the reality who is Jesus Christ. So it isn't, as I said, it's not Jesus plus rules or Jesus plus works or Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. And that's what Paul said right here, that we need to understand if Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, we'll know what to do and what not to do. Over time, the Holy Spirit will make that clear. And thankfully, he gave us this book, which also, you know, Genesis 1-2, it's pretty clear. There are lots of places where we're told what we're supposed to do. Now, as I read those verses in my younger years, my teenage years, and there are verses like this in Colossians all over Paul's letters uh, about the fact that don't worry about the rules. I love those verses. You know why? Because I don't like rules. In fact, when I'm driving my car and I see a 45-mile-an-hour speed limit, I don't see a, a rule. I see sort of a guideline. You know what I mean? And, and, and it's always a guideline, you know, 45, maybe 50, maybe 55. And it's always a guideline until I look in my rearview mirror and there's this car that has a little red light, sometimes blue, you know. When I see those lights and I pull over, then I realize that 45 was actually a rule. But, but I thought it was a guideline. You know, and, and, and sometimes, you know how, you, maybe you've never had this experience, but you pull over and they go, whoo, zooming past you, and you go, whoo, still a guideline, still a guideline. <laughs> right? But that's not what Paul was saying. Paul was not saying everything's a guideline. Paul was saying, let's not get caught up in all of this stuff about what's rule, or is it all license, and we can just do anything we want to, because we have to sooner or later get to the reality that it's not about legalism, it's not about, it's not about license, it's about liberty. It's the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. And he says, he gets onto this again, he says, don't let anyone condemn you by insisting on pious self-denial or the worship of angels, saying they have had visions about these things. Now, you have to realize the Colossian church was a baby church. They weren't around for very long. They didn't know what was true. They didn't know what was false. And so people in the church were coming up and saying, hey, I had a vision from God. Jim, I had a vision from God. It was actually an angel who told me, you can't wear jeans in church anymore. Now, if an angel told you that you can't wear jeans in church anymore, I bet you you wouldn't wear jeans in church anymore. But what if I told you that an angel told you that you can't wear, well, you might believe me because I'm your pastor, but what if you're just a member in the church, in this new baby church, and you want to have credibility about your legalism, so you say, an angel told me. And what Paul says is, uh-uh. 
There is true and there is false. And I'm going to teach you what's true and I'm going to teach you what's false. Because we all need to understand that there is true and there is false. Because in this culture in which we live, there isn't true and false. There's just whatever. But there always has been true and there always has been false. And that's what Paul is trying to get here. He's trying to show the Colossian believers what was true. And, and we need to understand that we need to help one another in a culture that says anything goes that anything doesn't. Because certain things don't lead to righteousness. Certain things don't lead to a life of liberty, freedom in Jesus Christ. So Paul told the Colossians that those among them who were doing these things, you know, saying an angel told me this and you can't do that, he said they were not even connected to the body of Jesus Christ. Here's what he said. Their sinful minds have made them proud and they are not connected to Christ, the head of the body. So if they're not connected to Christ, the head of the body... Think about this. I don't know if you ever saw this before. When I was a little kid, my Uncle Leonard would come home from Cleveland, and he liked fresh chicken meat. So he would buy like a dozen chickens, and then he would bring them home, and he would chop off their heads. And they would run around in the yard and then until they died, right? Well, they were already dead. They just didn't know it yet, right? Um, and and but the point is, you'll never forget that image if you've ever seen it, and you might not forget it if you see it in your mind right now. And they would run into trees, and we'd sort of laugh, you know. It's sort of gross, but sort of funny. And, and, and the thing is... Picture yourself as a member of the body of Jesus Christ. I've done this before. Because he says when we get proud, what happens is we're disconnected from the head just like that. We, we, we don't have a connection to the body. And when I get proud, here's how I get proud usually. I say, you know, the rules don't, don't apply to me. In fact, Nancy, my wife of 36 plus years, you know, she says all the time, you don't think the rules apply to you. That's a sermon for another day. But, but... <laughs> But the point is, when I'm proud, that's the way I usually get proud. I say, the rules don't apply to me. Because I tend to, towards the licensed side of things rather than to the legalistic side of things. But the rules do apply in certain cases. The real rules apply to all of us. If there's really a rule, it applies to everybody. And, and if I'm proud, I'll disconnect from the body, and then I can't help you. And, and when you disconnect from the body, you can't help us. Because we have to be connected to the head, Jesus Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. And then Paul goes on and concludes this particular section of the, of the reading for today by saying, You have died with Christ and he has set you free. That's where the freedom, the liberty comes in. Free from the spiritual powers of this world. What Paul is saying is, we were all born in bondage. Some of us are born in a legalistic bondage. Some of us are born in a licentious bondage. But we're all in bondage. And, and we're all in bondage to these small s spiritual powers, the spirit of the devil, the demons. We're in, in bondage to that until something happens, until we die with Jesus Christ. Jesus died to take away our sins, but Paul says in a spiritual sense, we die to our old life. When Jesus comes in and we're born again, that's why it's called born again. And I didn't make up that, that phrase, born again, Jesus did. So Jesus said when we're born again, we're born of spirit. And so the big S, Holy Spirit, comes in, the, the Holy Spirit comes in, and He takes over our lives, and now we're what? Free. And we don't have to follow the rules in order to please God, because we can't follow the rules. And, and we certainly don't want to just do whatever we want to, because that doesn't please God. What pleases God is for us to be in relationship with Him, and, and for us to be free from all that stuff. And so then Paul says again, he sort of finishes up a little bit more about this whole deal about the, the, the legalism. He says, so 
Why do you keep on following the rules of the world, such as don't handle, don't taste, don't touch? Such rules are mere human teachings about things that deteriorate as we use them. These rules may seem wise because they require strong devotion, pious self-denial, and severe bodily discipline. Now, you don't see this brand of, of heresy, is what it is, false teaching, in the church very much anymore. It used to be very prevalent. When I was growing up, I mean, people were saying, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch all the time. When I was growing up, you know, everybody seemed to be around like this with a snarl on their face saying, don't. Because I sort of like do, you know what I'm saying? And, and so it was always don't. And it was sort of like, if you do that, God's up there in heaven and he's going to fly swatter. He's going to swat you with a fly swatter because he doesn't want you to ever be happy. That's not true. And Paul says it's not true. But you know what? I have fallen for this every now and then as a pastor. Because people have come to me over the years and you say, they would say, you know, Pastor Chris, you'd be a lot better pastor if you would just make some more hospital calls. You'd be a lot better pastor if you just prayed like for three or four hours a day. You'd be a lot better pastor if you just read your Bible more. And people do that to us. You know, they say, you would be a lot better Christian if you would do what? Something that you aren't doing right now. And, and, and so when that happens... We feel bad. Paul says, don't let that stuff happen to you. In fact, you know, I'm going to get real personal here right now. I'm going to ask you, don't say this out loud or don't raise your hand or anything. But have you ever had a sin in your life that you just can't get rid of? You know, there's a certain sin and it just happens over and over again. And you've said to God, God, I'm never committing that sin anymore. And then like 10 minutes later, you do it. And so you ask God to forgive you and you say, God, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never committing that sin anymore. And then this time it's like 25 minutes. And then you say, God, I'm never committing that sin anymore. And then you don't commit that sin for a day or maybe a week. And then you go, whoa, I haven't committed that sin for a week. I'm pretty good. You see, and you start to get this pride again. Well, Paul understood what that was like to have this sin that you just can't get rid of. Because if you read Romans 7, just mark that down if you take notes. Romans 7 and look it up after church today. Paul said, the things I want to do, I don't do them. The things I don't want to do, I do them. I don't understand. I, I, I want to be good, but I can't be good. And what Paul is saying here is that's not the point. Being good isn't the point. Following the rules isn't the point. Letting people tell you what to do isn't the point. The point is not legalism. It's not license, but it's liberty. And, and that's the key for all of us. You know, one of the things that this side over here, I, keep, I don't pretend that all of you are licentious and all of you are legalistic. I'm just using that for an illustration. Let's do the license over here and the legal over here for now. Okay, so the licensed people say, hey, I got a new idea. Here's my new idea. I like to sin. God likes to forgive sin, so I'm just going to keep sinning. But now I'm going to even change. I'm just going to say there is no sin anymore. Let's just not call anything a sin. Now, you're not going to believe that this illustration I'm going to use right now is about that licentious thing, but it really is. Because there's a guy named Bill Eason, and he's had uh, opportunity to be a consultant for more than 1,200 churches over the last 35 years. And he wrote an article this week called, Why Churches Are So Mean-Spirited. And his statistics are that in 60% of the 1,200 churches that he has been a consultant for over the last 30-plus years... 60% of them, the churches would be considered mean-spirited. And he said what that usually means is there are two or three people, two or three people in the church who are mean-spirited. And those two or three people get everybody else to follow their rules. And so new people come in from the outside and they experience these two or three mean-spirited people. And they go, I'm never going back to that church. And they don't. But here's the part. When you say nothing is a sin... 
When, what right do I have to say anything to somebody because, you know, I'm not any better than they are? Here's what happens. All the rest of the people in that church, you know what they do? They go, well, I don't have a right to tell that person they're being mean-spirited. I don't have a right to say anything. I judge that person because I'm not perfect myself. And that illustration is one that keeps churches across America from reaching lost people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, here at New Life, whenever you come as a first-time guest, anybody here ever been a first-time guest? Huh, that was a trick question. All of you have been first-time guests, except for me, because I started the thing. Okay, but you all were a first-time guest at one time or another. If, if you gave us your email address, we sent out a little survey. It has four questions on it, and the four questions say, number one, I'm just going to tell you the first one, what, you know, what did you notice first about New Life? And about 80% of the people who send that email back to us say this, how friendly and welcoming the people are. And we always go, oh, that's nice, but it's sort of sad. Because wouldn't you think the least that any church would do would be welcoming and friendly to first-time guests? But, 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 that, but that's not what happens because people are afraid to stand up and say to the mean person, you're being mean. The reason New Life is not a 50-member church is because when people were mean back then, I just said, quit it. It's so simple. You know, quit it. We can't have people being mean to people who come out who are already beaten down by the world or who think that, that everything's okay. We have to be able to speak into people's lives. And we can't speak into people's lives if they think all we care about is rules, if we're haters, homophobes. If we're those things, we don't have a right to say anything. But if we're truthful in love, then we have a right to say something. And, and the truth of the matter is, Jesus told us a long, long time ago, 2,000 years ago, that those of the, us who follow him are supposed to be light and salt. You know what light does, right? It takes away darkness. When you turn on a light in a dark room, you can see. When you turn on a light in a dark culture, you can see. But what about the salt thing? Well, in, there's a lot of reasons that we use salt, but in, in Jesus' day, salt was mainly a preservative. If you put salt on meat... It would not rot as quickly. It still rotted, but it wouldn't rot as quickly. And so as salt, what we're doing is keeping our society from rotting as quick as it could because it's rotting pretty fast right now. But when we go out there and we be salt in the world, what that means is that we are helping to preserve people until what happens, until they get to know Jesus. Because once a person gets to know Jesus as Savior and Lord, they're born again, their life is transformed forever. And that person who was on a road to hell is now on a road to heaven. And we only have a right to speak into people's lives if we have the truth and love. Some of you who are new might be wondering, why does a preacher sit down to preach? Well, it started a couple years ago when I had my appendix out and I was too weak to stand up to preach. And then I got to back to every now and then I'd preach standing up, sitting down, you know. And then in March I had the car accident with Nancy and I had to sit down and preach because I couldn't stand up to preach again. But then about a month ago I realized something. When I stand up, I can be scary. You know, I went to the pirate game on Friday night and Garrett Cole was pitching. And I took a friend with me who I, I, I he was a, he's a really good friend, but I hadn't really spent any time with him for 15 years. And I wanted to, you know, re, restart the, the friendship. And so we're sitting there and we're watching Garrett Cole warm up in about the fourth inning, you know. And he said, you know, 
I have a friend who's like Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole, he's the nicest guy in the world until he gets out on that pitcher's mound. And then he's just mean. I mean, he wants to, he wants to strike out every single person. And I said, who's that friend? He goes, Chris Marshall. <laughs> and, and I said, huh. Because I realized there are people who have come here and they think like on a weekend, they come here and they think I don't like them because I'm sort of focused about what I'm going to say during this period of time. Because, you know, my goal is to have a 97-mile-an-hour fastball to throw at the devil. And when I say at him, I sort of mean at him. You know what I'm saying? Not, I mean, I don't care if I hit him. I'd rather strike him out. But if I hit him in the kidney, okay. Because <laughs> he's the devil, right? But I don't want you to think I'm throwing a 97-mile-an-hour fastball at you. Because I'm not. I love you. I really do. You know, and I, I was thinking about that. Garrett Cole probably doesn't love the St. Louis Cardinals. He probably hates them. I don't really like the St. Louis Cardinals, but I love them because they're people. You see, it doesn't really matter who wins the World Series this year. Though people who win the World Series, I mean, I hope it's the Pirates, but, you know, whoever wins the World Series, those people don't get to go to heaven because they won the World Series. They get to go to heaven or hell based on what they do with Jesus. And I can say something about that. I don't have anything to say about who wins the World Series. Somebody told me I need to pray for the Pirates more. I said, I never pray for sports teams. Because at the end of the day, if they're not good enough to win without my prayers, they, can't, they should lose. But I pray for people every day. I pray for most of you. You know? And in fact, I asked for the list of all the people at New Life. It's now 1,200 people. And I'm going to start praying down through that list. Boom, boom, boom. It might take me longer than a week. It used to only take me like a couple days. And it takes me longer now. But the bottom line is, here we are. We're talking about legalism. And there's some people that think Christians are legalists. And some Christians are legalists. I mean, go back 2,000 years. The Pharisees were legalistic Christians. And there are some people that think that Christians don't care about me. They don't care about anything. They just do whatever you want to do. And back 2,000 years ago, there were Christians like that. And in every era of history, there have been Christians like that. But the kind of Christians I hope we are is I hope we're free ones, <laughs> free from sin and death, free to live for God. And, and here's the thing. I've only found one way to follow rules that really works, and that is the freedom of Jesus Christ, to live in the freedom of Jesus Christ. Because I don't like rules. I hate them. But then Jesus tells me, go talk to this person about Jesus, about me. And I'm like, okay. And I love it. And I love doing what he says when I'm listening to him in, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And I hope that you have that same experience, you know, that maybe you didn't like rules and, and you've lived in this licentious lifestyle with license, anything I want to do goes. And then Jesus comes in and you go, whoa, I shouldn't have been doing all that. And, 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 but it's, you're not going to stop doing it unless the Holy Spirit leads and guides in your life. Neither will I. And then on the other hand, there are those who have always sort of liked the rules, all two of you in the room here. You know, and, and you just think, if I just had another list of things to do that I have to do and I get them done, then Jesus is going to love me more. No, he isn't. He loved us before we got out of bed this morning. And he's going to love us when we go to bed tonight, no matter what we do today. He never loves us more or less because of what we do. It's not what we do, it's what Jesus did. That's the bottom line. Now, can we please Jesus? Yes. Can we hurt Jesus? Yes. But the bottom line for all of us in the room today is we can only experience freedom in Jesus Christ. It's not going to be because the world tells us, you know, five Supreme Court justices now make it legal to marry your, I'm not even going to say it. But there will be something else coming. 
trust me, because we're living in a rotting culture. What's the answer to that? Truth and love. It's always been the answer to that. What's the answer to that? We're never going to be about this or that. You know, I, I said at the first worship gathering this morning, some of you are sitting here going, if he talks about the gay thing one more time, I'm never coming back. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about life that's truly life. And if you never come back because you think I'm judgmental, I'm sorry, but you didn't, just weren't listening this morning. If you never come back because you think that Christians are haters, I'm sorry, there are some haters out there. We're not one of them. I hope what's going to happen this week is there's going to be somebody out there in the community saying, you know, all Christians are a bunch of whatever, you know, that's a negative thing. And somebody who doesn't even go to new life is going to say, you know, I don't think so. I've, I've experienced some of those Christians that go to that church, you know, down here on Knock Road, and they're not like that. That's my goal, is that one day that somebody's going to know somebody from new life, and they're going to know that Jesus Christ loves them, even if they don't believe it. They're going to know that there is truth, even if they don't believe that there's truth, and that when we go out of here, our lives are going to matter because we are salt and light, because we have truth and love. And so here's the commitment for today, and the commitment is... I will live in the joy of Jesus' victory in my life. I will live in the joy of Jesus' victory in my life. Now that's sort of a paradox, you know, that I'm going to live in joy because I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do because I don't like doing what I'm supposed to do. Unless I do. For the last couple months since May, I went on this retreat for a week in South Carolina. Many of you know about it. Every day, well, six days a week probably, I've been going down to Rails to Trails and I've been walking and praying for an hour. And I haven't been doing it so I can check that off my spiritual checklist. I've been doing it because I need God so desperately. I don't know if you need God desperately, but I do. Because I can't do the stuff I'm supposed to do without him. And I can't stop doing the stuff I'm not supposed to do without him. But once his spirit is leading and guiding in my life, it's just so much better. Even when life still continues to be awful. And, you know, there's still bad things going on. In fact, I fell off a ladder onto my dining room table yesterday afternoon while I was changing a fan. And God didn't, like, instantly grab me in space and keep me from falling. I mean, you'd think he could. He could, right? But he didn't. And my back hurts today. But I still have joy. I still have joy because I know there's a God who has a son whose name is Jesus, who died and rose again, who's praying for me, who gave his spirit to me, who wants us to go out and live a life that makes a difference. And my prayer today, it, it's, so, it's such a common prayer, I pray it almost all the time, is that the day that you face Jesus is going to be the best day of your eternity because it can only be the best day or the worst day. I say this all the time. But I know one day I'm going to wake up dead. Or Jesus is going to come back. And in that moment, I know what he's going to say. Somebody said to me after the first service, I'm so glad that you're not afraid to say the truth. And I said, I'm only afraid of one person, Jesus. I'm afraid not to say the truth. And really, I'm afraid to not say it in love because I don't want anybody to go to hell. Because that's not something I'd want to have on my conscience. So as we go out today, I want you to think about this. You can live in victory this week. Not because you followed rules or not because you broke the rules, but because you're free. Because Jesus Christ died to make us free. And he gave us his spirit so we can live with joy and victory, even when it means going 45 in a 45. <laughs> I'm almost ready to buy that bumper sticker. 
Uh, I, some of you know what I'm talking about. I, know, I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my car because I'm afraid to because somebody will see it and go, whoa, that's a Christian? I'm not really sure. <laughs> you know, you heard about the lady who got stopped by the cop and she took her, he took her right to jail. Didn't ask her any questions, just took her to jail. And, and when she's getting processed, she says, I don't understand why I'm brought to jail. And, and the police officer said, well, she had all these Christian bumper stickers on the back of her car. And she was driving 60 and a 45. And she was, you know, making these hand signals and all this kind of stuff. I thought it was a stolen car. <laughs> and don't let somebody think your car is stolen this week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you so much. It's not about rules. It's not about not rules. It's about Jesus. And God, my prayer, my prayer is that you'll fill us with your Holy Spirit so full to overflowing that everybody we come into contact with will experience your light and your preserving flavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.